that they had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried it again. How many times have we had something explained to us? You know, sometimes it's just impossible to see what someone is telling us. Um, whenever we're giving directions. We're great for giving directions. You see, if you want to go to the, the palliative care unit or hospice, you go down there to St. John's and you hang a right and go to the top of the hill to the breast center and turn left. Now, I, I can see that perfectly in my mind. How many here see that in your mind? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, well you know, if you've never been there, we don't know what's the street. What's the street number? What's the address? Well, Whenever we're talking about not stealing something, not lying, not bearing false witness, not cheating, when we're thinking of these things, we're looking at them in the context of, of the commandments that God says, don't do this, because it will destroy your life. And, and we think of, how, does, how is these little things going to destroy me? Because the little things will end up being the same scenario we use in the big things. Integrity doesn't start whenever we have something major. Integrity starts when we have something that is very easy, very small, very minimal. So we already set up our mind what we're going to do. So Jesus is giving them this story the second time. He says, I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good, sheep stealers, every one of them. So Jesus is saying, I'm the gate. In the book of Revelation, we have it that, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him. That we see the analogy of the door. We see the analogy of how that the doorway is an opening. We know that to, to leave today, you have to go through a door. To come in today, you had to go through a door. So to be in here, you had to walk through a door. Jesus is saying, I am the gate. I am the gate. I'm literally the gate that you are going to walk through. And then he goes on, he says, anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they can have real life and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed. So here we are in this <laughs> place in our life, and God is telling us, I want to give you a life that is greater than you've ever imagined. I want to fulfill your dreams. Hmm. The dreams of your heart, the ideas that are inside of you to become, what are they? And where do they come from? Where do our dreams come from? Where do our aspirations come from? Where, do, where does these desires of our heart originate? And I believe that God is the originator of Many ideas, not all ideas, but he is the originator of all of the dreams of our heart. And I continually say Christians should be the most creative people. Christians should be the most creative people on the planet. Because we have not only have the, the foundation of our life established, we have the creati creativity of God at work inside of us. If the same spirit to raise Christ from the dead dwell in you, he shall quicken your mortal bodies. That not only is for whenever we die and are, are resurrected, it is the quickening of the spirit to our minds and our thoughts and our application and our understandings. That we pray for these things. We believe that God will work in our life. 
through, these, through his spirit and his word. Well, in John, there are seven times in the book of John where Jesus tells them or claims that I am. I am. And these phrases are phrases of, of declaration that Jesus is presenting to the people that will help them have a picture, better understand what he is here for. He says, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Well, the bread, and, and, they, and in Israel, they're constantly made reference points to the manna of the wilderness, the manna of the 40 years that they spent in the wilderness, that God provided them manna. Manna is, what is it? <laughs> That's what it means, manna, what is it? And they didn't know what it was, but every day they woke up, it was there. And on, on Friday, there was twice as much for them to gather so that they wouldn't have to gather on the Sabbath, Saturday. And it would be there the next day, on, on, on Sunday. And here is Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I am more than enough for your life. That every day you wake up, I am your bread of life. Every aspect of life that you need, I am there for you. I'm there to give life to you. I am the bread, the bread of life kind of goes along with what we've been saying in uh, Luke chapter 15 when Jesus is using the story of the prodigal son and the father and the prodigal's brother. What's he tell him? Everything I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. He's talking to the, the brother, the son, his son that stayed behind and didn't run off and squander his wealth. He tells his brother, <coughs> he tells his son, everything that I have is yours. And whenever we're trying to understand what God's gifts are to our lives, they're, they're more than we could ever ask or think. They're greater than we can ever imagine. Because God has so many things planned for our lives and so many blessings he wants to bestow upon us that we need to open our hearts up, open our minds, and open our lives to the goodness that God has for us. The limitations that we put on life come from a perceived perspective of how good we think we can be or how bad we think we were. <laughs> and most often we look from a negative perspective about the failures of life. And it isn't it interesting that God is not the one who reminds us of our failures. <laughs> God does not remind us of our faults. He gives to us the imagery in the scripture about how that we can become, that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, that there is nothing that can separate us from God. Life nor death, principalities or powers. So God gives us this picture of his forgiveness. He gives us this picture of breaking the chains that bind us, of, of the limitations of our abilities and what we can and cannot do. You know, he works outside of those things. And sometimes our greatest opportunities in life are in our greatest problems. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Yes, yes, I like that. I like my greatest problems. <sighs> okay, when we think of King David, David... Israel, not David McGee, David, King David, psalmist. 
What was his, what was, what do you know, when you think of David, what do you think of? Goliath. Goliath. All right, Goliath. So Goliath is his biggest challenge. He's this, you know, he's this giant of a man who is <laughs> the epitome of a soldier. He is, he is unde- he's undefeated, <laughs> and they are willing, this whole army is willing to back one man and his abilities to take on anybody in the, in the opposing army. And he's able to do this, and so David's biggest battle, David's biggest challenge is Goliath. And it is Goliath that propelled David into the eyes of a nation that brought about his being seated in the king's palace and being the harpist, and his whole future was opened by his biggest problem. But David wasn't there hunting for a giant. David was there serving his brothers. (laughs) He was there serving his brothers. And his brothers really welcomed him with open arms. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. They didn't open him, walk him with open arms. What did they tell him? What are you doing here? Who's watching those few sheep, you little runt? <laughs> what are you doing here? You just come here to get out of work. Aren't you supposed to be back in the field watching over those few sheep? And we see that David then is challenged to try to become something that he's not. What isn't he? He is not... <laughs> I won't knock it over today. Uh, <laughs> David is not a warrior. Not yet. But they tried to dress him up in the king's armor. And so you see all these people try to put him in his place. Shouldn't you be home tending those few sheep? So his brothers put him out there in the shepherd's field. The king was trying to make him look good as he went out to face Goliath and was killed. You know, I did my best for the poor boy. I gave him my armor, you know. And, but David, he sees this as a challenge, an affront to God. Who is this uncircumcised um, Philistine who comes against the God of Israel? And how does David know that he's able to take on Goliath? Well, I fought the bear, and I fought the lion, and I killed him, and I can take on this giant. You see, when God tells us that I am the bread of life, that there is nothing in life that I can't give to you as you come through life, as you come through me to life, the manna which was unending to Israel, that their needs were sustained every day in the wilderness, that God was there and he is this bread to them, he is this life. Christ, his fullness of grace, is in Christ there is no lack. So here we are facing, do you have a giant? Do you have little battles? What if the little battles you're facing are only a preparation for the big one? (laughs) You mean this isn't the worst thing I'll ever face in life? Well, you know, if you face the little things and you conquer them when the big things arrive, you'll still have that same attitude or that same perspective. Just like we said, if you, if you go to the candy store and you don't steal that piece of candy, you know when it comes to someone dropping a $100 bill in front of you. I remember I went to the, uh, I was walking out of the bank 
a few years ago. And I'm walking out, and there's a $20 bill on the ground. Oh, that's pretty neat. So I picked it up, walked a few more feet, and there's another 20. Walked a little further, and there was another 20. I followed the 20s right out to the end of the parking lot. I, I collected over $100, $140 and $20 bills. So I put them in my pocket and said, thank God, and went home. <laughs> yes! <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> what did I do? I took it back to the bank. Now, I said to them, if nobody comes and claims this, I want it. <laughs> okay? But here's $140 I found in the parking lot, scattered the, to the end of the parking lot. Here it is. And put my name on there, because I want it if they don't come for it. And later that afternoon, somebody came in screaming at them that they had shortchanged him to $140. And, and they said, no, here's your $140. Somebody found it in the parking lot. So, you see, because you don't steal the candy means you don't steal the $140. You still want the money if nobody claims it, you know. But if, if no one claims it, I want it, but it's not mine to, to take. Well, I didn't take the candy. You won't take the $140. You won't take the thousand four hundred dollars you won't take whatever because it's not right and you know that inside when you do the little battles and you give thanks to God for the little things and you see God's hand working in the little things when the bigger things come you'll do the same thing whether it's a five cent piece of candy or whether it's 140 dollars you're not going to take it because it's not yours that integrity is what God is building in your life that not only helps you in dealing with ordinary things, it helps you in challenging the big things in your life. I don't think I can do that on my own. Good. We're going to need help. So we pray. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So seven times he says this in the book of John. The second one he says, and I am the light of the world. In Christ there is no darkness. In Christ, there is no darkness. There, and in Christ, there is no shadow of turning. <laughs> That's a song and a scripture. No shadow of turning. It means that no matter how many plays we... we you know, when I turn this way, I can see my shadow. <laughs> in Christ, no matter which way you look at him, there are no shadows. Because he is the light. And when Christ's light shines in our life, he is the light that shines on our path. Tabby, praying, direction, choices. He is the light that will shine on your path. He is the light that will shine on your path even when it makes very little sense. Joe over here, <laughs> five years ago, January 2010, I asked, because I wouldn't remember that. <laughs> January 2010, Joe sat here in the corner by himself on a pew for a whole year, sat by himself. This whole corner is for Joe's. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know he's, it's that influence. Just think if every one of us were able to do what Joe has done in bringing his family and friends and you know all of these people? No. <laughs> but whenever we see that, our influence, our influence that's part of our tithe. That's part of our stewardship. It's our influence. 
influencing people for Christ, planting the seed of God into people's lives. Jesus is the light of the world. There is no darkness in him, and so even the, the little nooks and crannies of our life have God's light on them. They, they're not hidden from him. And so every little thing that comes into my life, God is there. Whether it is the major decisions or the little decisions, God is there. In the, in the scripture that we have for our text, Jesus says, I am the gate. Often he says that he is the door. All who enter, enter through him. No one comes to the Father but by me. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and that's what we get here a little later, the way, the truth, and the life. That no one enters in. Everything that we have in our, in our life comes from God his blessing, his understanding that we have entered in through the gate. They, they understood this in those biblical times. because We don't often have gates. Um, you know, growing up on the farm, they always had gates, always had doors, pasture fields, gates. You know, you close the, did you close the gate? <laughs> because if you didn't close the gate, the cows are going to get out and you're going to have trouble. <laughs> you know, I think one of the scariest times I ever had in my life was it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, cows got out. We had about 100 head. So you have 100 cows. It's the middle of the night, 2 in the morning. They're in the cornfield. Corn is above your head, okay? And the cows are way at one end of the field. And your dad says, go out there in the middle of the cornfield and turn the cows towards the barn. Okay. Did you ever have a hundred cows stampeding through a cornfield at two o'clock in the morning and you can't see them coming, you can't see in front of you, and you're standing there jumping and screaming, trying to get them to go down the hill to the left, go left, go left, you know, to the barn, to the barn, you know, and you're jumping and screaming, and my dad comes along and says, they're all in. Oh, good, I'm glad. I didn't know where they were at. I could just hear them. I just knew they were leaving. And, you know, my dad said, you can come down now. <laughs> so there you are in the scary, you know. Well, God, I was wondering sometimes if God's not in the middle of our lives, jumping and screaming, saying, don't go this way, don't go this way. But you're saying, but I really want to. <laughs> yeah, I really want to. Okay. Jesus came that we might really have life. I am the gate. We are admitted into our heavenly kingdom through the gate, through Christ. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Again, these are analogies that we sometimes lose, but the analogy of a shepherd is the guy who watches his sheep out, out on the hillside. And the shepherd is the guy who will die for his sheep. Not the hireling, he Jesus said, I'm not a hireling. A hireling says, you know what, the sheep are in trouble and I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm not watching, I'm not, get, I'm not staying up here all night with the lion and the bear watching sheep because they might eat me instead of the, instead of the sheep. <laughs> I imagine some of those shepherds would sit in the middle of the sheep fold and say, okay, you can have any one of them, just don't take me, you know. And so Jesus is a good shepherd that he will lay down his life for his sheep. He, he is the one who will seek the lost. When the sheep is lost, when the lost sheep, he goes after the fold. And that he is there to be the shepherd. A shepherd is someone who leads us into green pastures. 
Here's a, another thing that I recently heard, never knew this. I'd heard of it, but I never put the two together. That the Lord is my shepherd, you know, I shall not want, leave me, you know, down through there. And then we go to the valley of the shadow of death. When I am going through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, the shadow of death is not someone dying, it is someone grieving. Dave McGee. All right. The second one is his staff. One of them is a club, and the other is the staff. And I always thought of it in the context that is used for guiding, not for beating. <laughs> get in line. <laughs> you never had a mother with a, my mom would get the uh, wooden spoon. You want me to get the wooden spoon? You know, bop, right on the head, then it got the backside. But <laughs> the staff, rod and staff, rod was a club, the staff was not only something for guidance, but the staff was the history. They wrote the history on a person's staff so that they would remember when. They would remember the times of their life that were the markers of their life. The times in which, for David, when he fought the lion and the bear, he had that on his staff as he went to face Goliath. He would have been able to look at his staff and say, God was with me then. We need to have those staffs in our own life. And remember, in 2010, January, <laughs> my life changed. Put that on the staff. Well, when we face other difficulties, we pull the staff. We got that staff with us. And we remember that in the next year, and the next year, and the next months. And we, we can just go down over that staff and see every marker in our life that was an incident or a situation that brought change, good change, brought God's change into our life. And we have it marked. The rod and the staff. I'm the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is, this is so important that no matter what happens in our life, he is the quickening power to bring us life. He is the life, he is the, the breath of life that comes into us, that he breathes into our life and we become a living soul. We are alive forever. Amen? Thank you. We are alive forever. <laughs> We are alive forever. Why? Because the breath of life is in us. Well, what if I stop breathing? Doesn't matter. The breath of life is the breath of God. We became a living soul, and this soul will never die. We're going to spend an eternity in heaven or hell, but it will never die. We're never going to die. We have the breath of life. So if we have our life settled, end of life is settled. God is going to take care of me for eternity. Why would God abandon us now? Why would God abandon us in this place in our life where we have difficulties and problems and trying to choose directions? God is never going to abandon us. Why? Because I will never leave you nor forsake you. <laughs> Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So if I am in this place of security, you want to know where children have the ability to make choices? Why do some kids have the ability to choose better than others? Why do some adults have the ability to choose better than others? When we know that we are loved, 
We don't fear making wrong choices. When we are, know that we are loved, we do not fear making wrong choices. Perfect love displaces fear in our lives. When I know that I am loved by God, and in his love I know that he will, not, he will guide me and he will prepare a place for me. He's prepared a place for me. He's going to help me get there. And so every situation in my life is a place where God is loving me and bringing me closer to him. And in that place of relationship, I don't fear failure because God is there to help me. And every mistake, everything that I see as a mistake is actually a stepping stone to where he wants to take me because there is no failure in God. And there is no fear in love. And peace, <laughs> peace that guards our heart with all, peace is a place of power. <laughs> so when I see what God is to me, through me, in me, that I find that I am at peace with myself and I'm at peace with God, and that peace is a position of power where I am able to live my life in the strength of God. The, the sixth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the road. I am the road map. <laughs> And I am the vehicle traveling the road. <laughs> I am the road, the truth, I am the life. Christ is the beginning, the middle, and the end. I am uh, in him, set out. I am initiated, I am going out. But I am in him, I am going to finish. In him, I am going to know the truth about what happens in my life. I am able to see it, feel it, understand it, because I measure truth by his eternal standard. It doesn't change. As in Christ, I have life, and I have it in a abundance. <laughs> I have a life, and I have it in abundance. What is there about abundance that we don't understand? <laughs> you know? That it is abundance. It is above and beyond everything we could ask or think. And then finally... Jesus in John, the seventh I am, is I am the real vine. I am the true vine. I am truth. I am truth. Christ is our truth. That when I understand the truth of his word, I am not in darkness. I have direction for my life. I do not use the truth of God's word to beat me up or push people aside, or to manipulate someone, I use the truth of God's word to set ourselves free. <laughs> free from sin, free from past, free to make choices for today and for tomorrow. It is a liberating presence of God that separates me from my sin, gives me hope no matter what the situation is that I face. Be comfortable, <laughs> Be comfortable. Be comfortable. Okay. Amen. <laughs> Be comfortable. Be comfortable where we are at. If we are in Christ, I am safe for time and for eternity. It doesn't mean that I'm taking a snooze. It means that in his presence, 
I am free from my past. I'm free from my failures. I'm free from the mistakes that I thought I had made that were going to ruin my life because God is at work and he is at work changing not only the circumstances, he's at work changing me. Amen? Let's stand, shall we? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, A devoted life does bring wealth, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. Second, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6, 7, and 8. A devoted life does not bring wealth. Excuse me. A devoted life does bring wealth, but it is the rich simplicity of being yourself before God. You don't have to be somebody else. You would not be comfortable being them. <laughs> you would not be comfortable being them. You can only be you. And that's the person that Jesus loves. Amen? Thank you, Father, for your, for your word. Thank you for your word that sets us free. God, we are, we have sinned. But God, we are not only sinners saved by grace. We are Christians. We are sons and daughters of God, endowed with, the, <laughs> endowed with the power of the life of our Creator. Thank you, God, for saving me from my sins. Jesus, I confess that I have sinned. I ask your forgiveness, and I ask for your strength to walk with you each day. Can't do this on my own. I need your help. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless us, one and all. Amen. <laughs> Don't forget, what we're going to do, we're going to go down and eat. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>